This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider. I received a piece called The Shock of the Old from the desk of George Chiefley, who's a portfolio manager at 91 in London. And with a very tantalising opening, he says the following. The recent energy squeeze is a great example of how markets are having to grapple with old industries, with old business models and old technologies in a way that makes them fit for the new economy. We believe there will be many opportunities, George goes on to say, for investors to generate good returns from the required transition from old to new, but they will not always be the most obvious ones. As I said, George, quite a tantalising opening. Describe the motivation for this piece, first of all. Um, it was really just, you know, we've been, we're looking now at a transition which, you know, arguably is essentially to transition the world's power system from a, a fossil fuel-based energy system to essentially what is in effect, a metals-based energy system because renewable power requires a huge amount of metals to build the wind towers, solar panels, etc., um, to provide that energy. And obviously, with that, if you're electrifying the world, you need a lot of copper and even aluminium, per se, to, to, to distribute that energy. So, you know, this is a major transition. Um, and I think sometimes the markets, you know, see all the negatives in terms of, all oh, that's bad for fossil fuels and, you know, these companies are going to go out of business or stranded assets. And, and in some ways have failed to see how broad-based the demand increases would be across metals. Um, and I guess more granularly, so, I mean, what I go on in the piece to describe is it's very obvious that copper is a winner in this. If you're electrifying the world, the metal that carries electricity is is obviously going to do well, and and you know and people are very excited about that, and they're in equal terms excited about battery materials. But you know what is 70% of a wind turbine, an offshore wind turbine particularly, it's steel. Yes. Um, and, and therefore there are there are other materials which are equally going to benefit fit from a demand point of view but they're, they're harder for people to justify partly because of their emissions footprint so what you're saying is is simply that new energy needs old industry and therefore you can't abandon old industry and you have to put some capex in there and you have to unfortunately in building new industry you have to pollute the world with the old stuff yeah and you need it you've got to provide these materials for the infrastructure some of them at the moment are quite heavy emitters, steel industry being a good example, um, but actually all metals. Um, steel gets the attention because overall its emissions are large because it's so widely produced and huge volumes, but intensity-wise, other metals, aluminium is much more intensive in terms of carbon emissions than steel. It's just as far less produced, but, but they all need that. But so we can't just run away from these industries and say, well, they're heavy emitters. We can't invest in them because they're bad. We need them. And so, you know, the point is we need to invest in them to help them reduce those emissions as well as produce the materials we require. More generally, you say all the large mining companies slashed their capex budgets, capital expenditure budgets from 2015 under pressure from high debt burdens and low prices. Is that being reversed? 
Um, to some extent, yes. I mean, we saw Rio this week, you know, who spent five and a half billion last year on CapEx, will spend seven and a half this year, announce a CapEx target from 24 onwards of eight to 10 billion dollars. Sorry, I should say. Yes. So, I mean, clearly from last year, you're talking of a nearly doubling of their CapEx, um, a lot of which is going to decarbonisation and some to growth. So we are seeing CapEx numbers come up. That's driven partly by companies with very strong balance sheets and being able to spend more, but also being driven, I must say, by cost increases, and which we're seeing across the world, which they do benefit from because a lot of it's in raw materials. But yeah, we are seeing some rebuilding of that capex and companies, you know, because effectively a lot of them are now net cash, are, are looking certainly judiciously to increase it. What we're not seeing is mass approvals of greenfield projects. You know, we're not seeing massive greenfields really approved as yet, but we are seeing a number of projects getting approved, which wouldn't have been, you know, even a year or two ago. Yes, as they say, there's no cure for high prices like high prices. And obviously, a new supply will come on stream. But I get the sense that if it was 20, 25 years ago, and we were in the same sort of cycle as we are now, commodity cycle, that is, there would be people scrambling uh, to dig holes and do you know, uh, outrageous merger and acquisitions. I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think there was definitely more of a volume focus. You know, people are, I've got to, to grow, I have to raise my volumes. Mm -hmm. um, I think these days, um, people are very, very much more focused on growing returns, not volumes. Now, to grow returns without growing volumes is quite tough. So probably they will look at growing volumes at some stage, but they're going to be much more careful about how they grow them. You know, what you don't get now is my company's target is to produce X million tons by in five years' time, mm. which we used to get quite commonly 20 years ago. I mean, in fact, people know they shouldn't be saying that. Their, their target's all around what my returns margins are going to be in five years' time. So commodity companies have had to adapt, first of all, but secondly, they've had to grow up. And I think the, the trend these days is for commodity companies to be run like other companies. Obviously, the, the cyclicality will always be there. But on the other hand, they're not as gung-ho as they used to be. I think that's true. I, I still, maybe I'm too old, but I, I still think you've got to be cautious about saying, you know, that this is forever and they've all reformed. Mm. I, I think what typically happens is, the current companies are quite conservative and quite well run. But we all know if you get it right in the cycle and, and you're aggressive when prices are rising, you can make a lot of money. I, and what I mean is you look at Extrata, which emerged in the early 2000s, aggressively buying companies. And of course, then the super cycle hit and Extrata suddenly became a mining major sort of almost overnight. Yeah. I, I think the, the risk to the, the industry is not that the incumbents suddenly start spending huge amounts of money it's more that somebody smaller comes through and times it right when prices are rising and makes a lot of money and everybody goes why aren't you doing that and i think that's always the risk in this industry is you know somebody just basically makes a big bet on prices and gets it right where do we stand now i know that the oil price is, is continuing to astound uh, whereas uh bulk commodities like iron ore for example iron ore being the poster commodity of, of the bulks uh, coming down halving in price more than halving in price in fact so there are differing performances suddenly the crb index yes close to multi-year highs but on the other hand there are performances within that performance where are we at the moment george 
Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I, I think what we've seen on iron ore is anything, um, you know, supplying into China as China has cracked down, China has slowed, has clearly suffered, and we've seen in that particularly on the iron ore side as they've cut on the steel side. I mean, that's what I discuss in the article is that actually is very bullish for steel prices in the rest of the world because we've had essentially for years, we've had China, as we say, importing emissions and exporting deflation. So they've been happy to produce lots of steel and aluminium with high emissions and export them to the world really at low margins. In the last two years, and particularly this year, China said we can't afford to produce these emissions and export cheap commodities. And I think that's a major change for the world. We don't have China exporting deflation anymore. And I think that will continue. I think that's very bullish for commodities where China was exporting, which is the likes of steel and aluminium, particularly. And, and that's, you know, part of the thing I discuss in the article. So I, I think we're in an interesting structural change here. And we're seeing some commodity prices reset, really. On the short term, I think broadly one would say an iron ore is obviously an outlier, but we're seeing supply disruption is the focus. That's tightened up logistic supply chains. It's tightened up commodity supply and has caused commodity prices to rise generally. I think the issue is, though, with with those prices rising and that disruption, you will start to enter demand destruction in some markets. And I do think we've been in this very powerful restocking cycle as there's been disruption driving prices higher. At some point over the next 12 months, not immediately, I expect that to unwind. Restocking will abate. Supply disruptions will ease. And I I would say, you know, there could well be, you know, 22 could be a very difficult year for some commodities as, as we see that pressure unwind. I must say then, and it's difficult to predict, I still think, though, the 20s as a whole as a decade yeah. is going to be a very strong one for commodities and particularly metals because we're transitioning to a metals-based energy system. And how do you approach it? What's your strategy at 91 when it comes to commodities? The large diversified houses, some single commodity companies. What's your policy? Right now, we're pretty happy in large, large mining, large oil, um, large agriculture because, frankly... You know, the market has been very disbelieving of these prices, believes they're going to revert to mean quite quickly. My own view is they will revert, but actually to higher basic levels than we've seen over the last 10 years, certainly. And therefore, the cash flow generation and returns from all of these large companies, I think, will be much better than the market is forecasting. And in a sense, that that is a very powerful argument. I'm looking at companies with cash paying good returns already which I think can persist, I don't need to go into more risky companies at this stage. George, thanks very much for your insight. And I'll end this with your final paragraph, which says the following. For policymakers and society, there is a broader lesson, you say. To decarbonise the world and make the transition to net zero, just abandoning the old industries will not work. We will have to actually invest to decarbonise. Otherwise, the shock of the old risks upending the birth of the new modern economy we all want.